Hey guys, welcome. Uh, we're going to do a QA se uh, Q and A session. Um, any questions you guys wanted to ask, um, just put in the comments, and I will get to any of the comments that you know. Any of the questions that you wanted to ask. Uh, unfortunately, Kevin couldn't make it tonight. He's been working night and day trying to get a job finished that he has been working on. Let's see. All right, so we got a couple guys on here. Um, like I said, uh, any of the comments, uh, just post any kind of questions that you uh, wanted to ask, and I'll see if I can get an answer for you. What's going on, guy? Unfortunately, the way the StreamYard works, I can't actually see you know who's commenting. Um, if you guys missed it before, you know, Kevin can't make it. Unfortunately, he's been working night and day trying to get a uh, job taken care of. Um, <laughs> he's been given kind of an impossible task, but um, we're going to have a little uh, uh, podcast on that when he get you know, when he gets back. Um, we just did a podcast last night uh, with Matt Asbill from Motion Industries. Um no, I've, I've felt stupid on some interviews that we've done in the past. Um, Matt is extremely intelligent, uh, broke down so much stuff. We ended up talking for almost, you know, two hours. Um, but like I said, we're, uh, that'll be posting half of that'll be posting, um, Sunday night and, you know, we'll post the rest, uh, you know, uh, next week. Like I said, two hours is a lot for, you know, to digest. He broke down stuff like, you know, how to tell what the VFD voltage is on the outlet. And he actually gave a formula to kind of figure out what, you know, what it's supposed to be. Come on, guys. Any questions? You guys are killing me, Smalls. <laughs> I'm assuming that's probably Nathan. Have you ever seen Grumman naked? You're such an ass. Uh, White Island uh, frozen food case keeps icing up. Um, where is it icing up at? Is it icing up behind the coil? Is it icing up um, in the coil or in the drain pan? Because if it's icing up, um, you know, behind the coil, typically those uh, those cases. Um, if the discharge air during defrost gets above 49 degrees, uh, what'll happen is the back wall condense. Once the back wall condenses, basically that water will drip down and build up a layer of ice. And that's why a lot of times when you see those, uh, cases icing up, um, you know, you'll basically get, you know, no ice in the drain pan, no ice on the evaporator. Um, but you'll get a bunch of ice right behind it and like you'll de-ice it one night. And, you know, probably about two or three weeks later, it'll, it'll ice up again. But basically that's usually what causes that. Um, if you don't have any way to terminate it, as far as individual cases, if it's hot gas, you'd have to do something like a uh, 
normally open solenoid on a A19 and basically find a way um, to set the termination so that if the discharge air gets up to 49 degrees, it basically stops the defrost. Or if you have um, electric defrost, you could basically cut one leg of your um, 240. And then basically, you know, it, it'll uh, prevent that from continuing to defrost, you know, basically, uh, you know, by either doing cutting the electric, uh, you can cut the fans. I've seen people do that as well. Some of the older cases, they used to do that. Um, but, uh, you know, if just you're gonna have to specify where you're actually icing up at. Um from 22 to 407, you're gonna have to specify that. Um, this is, um, let's see, Mike Simi from CBRE. Um, we're gonna be doing some stuff um, in the, here in the near, near future. I think we might have an announcement for you guys, um, something new we're gonna start working on um, basically in the, um, in the new year. Um, we're gonna start uh, covering some of the uh, Munchers units, um, Addison units, seasons four, um, you know, more chiller stuff, you know, basically stuff like that. All right. Um, if this is about the island case, like I said, you're going to have to give me a little bit more information than that. Um, if it's uh, icing up in the, in the coil, um, I don't know if it's uh, hot gas or electric defrost. So I'm going to need all those, all, all that information so I can actually answer that correctly for you. What should the minimum defrost be for a hot gas defrost fresh meat case? It depends on the manufacturer. Um, you know, no more, absolutely no more than 20 minutes. Um, and you know, you want to obviously make sure, um, that you're not cooking the product. Um, you know, so you need some way to, you know, to basically terminate that. And like I said before, um, usually they use normally open solenoids, you know, because if it were to fail, it's just going to be open and just not terminate. Um, but, it, you know, at least if you, you know, use normally open, it's still going to continue to defrost. And basically when it hits uh, termination temperature, it'll, it'll close off the solenoid. Low superheat causes ice in the back too. Uh, sometimes if you have if you have hot gas uh, as well, um, sometimes what will happen is um, the check the check valve during drip down time because drip down time on those open deck cases on the coffin cases um, will basically um, uh, sorry on the coffin cases um, during drip down time the thirteen to fifteen minutes that's usually shut off for if the uh, bypass line basically the dump line is is bypassing liquid back into the coil that whole time time during drip down time you're basically going to start um icing up um icing up the back of the coil you know wherever the refrigerant enters you know the, um you know because you're not going to be uh you're basically going to be refrigerating when you should be you know having that drip down time Do I like movies about gladiators? I really wish I could see who's freaking commenting. This is hysterical. Have <laughs> you ever hung around the gymnasium? Oh, I hate you all. Um, I'm seeing a lot of transcritical popping up in my area. Can you quickly explain 
the magic high uh, high pressure CV valve and what it's doing. Um, basically, the valve um, is uh, basically the valve right before the flash tank is basically an inlet pressure regulator. Uh, it's trying to maintain a, a certain pressure, um, you know, uh, off of the. Um, I'm sorry, off of the gas cooler. Um, the other valve is basically uh, on the outlet of the flash tank is basically trying to maintain the flash tank pressure. Usually it's about 515 to uh, 525. Um, what can happen uh, or how, the, how those, uh, you know, how those actually racks work. The reason why it's a flash tank is basically the liquid boiling off as you're basically dropping that, you know, high pressure to a lower pressure. Um, you're basically boiling off some of that refrigerant that's in there. And the refrigerant that you're boiling off is basically using it its own self to basically subcool itself. Um, if anyone's ever accidentally hooked up to a recovery cylinder and basically, uh, you know, opened up the vapor line instead of the, uh, uh, instead of the liquid line where the dip tube goes down, uh, basically what will happen is, you know, the, refrigerant will start boiling off and, and all that refrigerant gets icy, icy at the bottom. That's basically what's happening in the flash tank. Have you ever created a flow chart for diagnosing both house? Oh my God, that must be chance. No, I haven't. You redneck. Uh, chance, uh, by the way, if anyone doesn't know, um, is dating his cousin, um, which is married to his brother. So just so you know, uh, frozen food, we retrofitted from R22 to 407A, electric defrost. The cases only have a rod heater in the return. Superheat has been set to 7 degrees. It's a row of 7 cases, one discharge temp sensor at the end cap. And this is the one I'm assuming that you're talking about as far as uh, it's icing up uh, either. Was it icing up in the back wall or was it icing up in the um, uh, on the coil itself? You know, there's got to be a way to, to know what that temperature is. So, like I said, you can use, uh, you know, some sort of uh, temperature control in A19, Ranco, uh, 0600, 100. Um, I believe that's the part number. Uh, I like those because they have a wider range. Oh, shit. Hold on one sec. Sorry, guys. So like I was stating before, you basically would have to find some sort of way to terminate those, those temperature, uh, those cases uh, based off of, you know, you could do coil temperature um, or discharge air, preferably discharge air, because then basically you could, uh, you know, make sure that the back wall doesn't condense and basically cause that, that ice dam in the back that, that happens. Um, this must be a comment for the CO2 similar to a metering device almost creates a pressure drop and creates flash gas. Yeah. The, you know, flash tank literally took me probably like an hour and a half to figure out. Cause I'm trying to do the math because I'm a real big numbers guy and I'm trying to figure out, well, you know, cause if it's dropping, if you have, you know, let's just say 95 degrees and you're basically dropping the pressure, you know, you're, you're potentially, you know, get it going from five degrees of subcooling down to potentially no subcooling. So like I had to, you know, really think about it. And someone explained to me and, you know, that same analogy, what I said about the, uh, basically the tank, 
uh, ending up, you know, acting like a re uh, recovery cylinder when using the vapor. Hey guys, if you can uh, put your names in the comments just so I can keep track of it, because unfortunately it just says Facebook user because I have you know multiple sites that I'm that I'm broadcasting this on. Um, you're gonna have to uh, you know a lot of times the way the frost pattern is in the uh, in the coil, um, you know, tells you a lot about you know how you know basically what's happening as far as defrost. Um, my recommendation is basically, you know, see, taking a couple of pictures, how it is, uh, post it on the site. Um, so I can take a look at it. Um, you know, cause you know, one might be running a high superheat, um, you know, uh, you know, pictures of if you are getting ice damming, I know you keep saying in the coil, but you know, like I said, I don't know if it's just underneath, if it's full through and through, because if it's just frosting, then maybe it's missing a defrost. If it's ice, then basically it's probably, you know, defrosting a little bit and then refreezing. Or you might even have a, a solenoid, you know, with a, a lineup that long, um, if you were to have like a liquid line solenoid or a suction stop that's closing, but not all the way, um, basically you could still be refrigerating while you're technically supposed to be in defrost. And you would see it more along the lines with cases that are, uh, you know, that are basically closer, you know, closer to liquid line solenoid because that's, you know, the liquid's going to obviously follow the path of least resistance. Do you have the power to ban corner cases in America? I'll sign in a petition if it helps. Um, I plead the fifth. Um, I, I'm not a fan of Carter cases. I don't like the fact that we run the fans during defrost. Um, I just don't. I don't, I don't really dig that. Um, you know, I don't like the fact that you know you're you're basically rewarming that product. And a lot of those Carter cases, any of the ones I've seen, basically you have. Um, potentially, you know, you're rewarming all that product, right? Um, so it's going to take a hell of a lot longer to pull down. Plus with a capillary tube, you know, you it's a steady flow. You know, there's no expansion valve in there to basically, you know, allow more refrigerant to go through based off the demand on the cases, right? What's the sexiest last name? <laughs> Not yours. Um, where do I buy gauges that say my pressures are good? Um, so we've we've covered this, like, you know, basically how to tell, like, what pressures are good, you know, because that's one of the biggest questions I get. Um, you know, I have, uh, you know, I, I basically go off of TD, you know, um, basically off of the condenser we try to do uh, on single systems and, and uh, uh, self-contains, we basically do, um, 20 degree TD, where basically we do 20 degrees higher than the ambient. So if you have a self-contained and basically the store is at 75 degrees, technically you should be at like a 95 degree saturated, right? Um, and, you know, 90, 85 to 90% of uh, evaporators out there typically do a, uh, an 8 to eight to 11 degree TD. Um, so if you're trying to maintain um, 35 degrees, you're going to maintain a 25 degree uh, SST. And uh, that doesn't hold true for the new high efficiency cases. Uh, most of those have uh, uh, four, uh, three to four to six degree TD. Um, you know, and they accomplish that by a couple couple means. They might uh, basically put more fins per inch, um, closer fins to get more surface area. Um, they also 
um, basically, you know, slow down the fan, you know, because by doing that, you, you have more contact with the air, um, with the refrigerant. So you're able to get a, a lower TD. Um, but the, you know, those are, those are some of the ways that you can tell that your pressures are, are good. Um, and that, that's on refrigeration, obviously. Um, the other thing that, that I use that I, that I show for an example, uh, you know, I basically use a triangle. Um, the triangle represents three different things. We have airflow, um, SST and basically superheat. And if you, you know, basically if you have all three of those things, perfect case is solid and, and will work properly. Any one of those things is thrown off. Suction pressure is high, you know, raising your SST triangle collapses, um, basically fan out or not having the right fan in there, uh, not having the right fan blade, you know, bad airflow triangle collapses. Same thing with the superheat, you know, bad power head, lack of refrigerant, block filter dryer, block strainer, you know, high superheat, basically triangle collapses. If you want, uh, you send me your gauges. I'll send you my address and, and basically I'll, I'll write, uh, you know, pressures are good, wherever you want. Uh, on a hot gas defrost, check valve frosting up from the distributor through the check valve on to the to a foot past keeping the case near temperature need to flood the case txv strainer clear how can you prove the check valve is bad um so i'm assuming you're talking about the check valve that's connected to the auxiliary side port connector a lot of times what i'll do is is basically um if you're lucky enough sometimes you'll have the uh, hand valve um right before the expansion valve and not where it ties back in and basically, you could close that down and, uh, you know, utilize that to, you know, see what your superheat is before you close that down. Um, or, you know, basically close down your TXV as, as far as, it'll, you know, close it down and basically uh, have it. So, you know, if that valve is all the way closed and your superheat continues to either stay steady or can continue to drop, then you know that that check valve is, is feeding. Um, or, you know, you could take a, a temperature reading, you know, basically that that refrigerant should be dropping. It shouldn't be dropping in temperature before the check valve. Uh, Danfoss AKV electric valves. Can a larger nozzle example 10, a 10 to be used in a valve with an original smaller size example 10 one? Um, I've never done it. I, I've never. um I don't see. I'm not familiar, uh, not too familiar with the Danfoss uh, AKV. Um, you know, I, I know like on some of the, you know, like the some of the Sporlin valves, you can un, uh, unthread the nozzle and put the nozzle in. Um, so you could potentially do that, but I don't know. I'd have to actually investigate on the on the AKV. Um, I think I've worked on two in my whole entire life. Um, Send, send me a message. Uh, we have an email address, advanced refrigeration podcast at gmail.com. Um, send some of your questions there and um, I can do some further digging. Uh, what should be the blue side <laughs> on the Freon is low? And how much should I add? What are you talking about, Ruben? Are you talking about air conditioning? Are you talking about refrigeration? Hey, I had a question. Are you starting a new uh, a new podcast called uh, uh, Rookie HVAC? I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know what you're working on now. I didn't know if you were still working on refrigeration. Um, I have a store with 407 uh, Carlisle compound compressor, low temp. 
The oil inside the rack seems to have liquid mixed in all through the system. If you try to drain into a bucket, it foams like crazy and eventually flashes off in liquid. I verified superheat the rack never gets below 25. How else would be mixing, uh, mixing with the oil? Compressors have liquid injection and de-superheating. So um, I, I understand that you're checking. I'm going to get rid of this. Um, so I understand that you're checking your superheat at your um, – at your uh, suction, like on the on the front of the compressor there. Um, but a lot of times those racks, compound racks specifically, a lot of times they use electronic expansion valves for the subcooler. Um, and what happens is, uh, and I've had this, I've had multiple calls on, on this same issue. Um, basically, you know, they have an EPR there to maintain your subcooler. So let's just say your subcooler was trying to maintain 50 degrees, you'd maintain anywhere from 43 to 40 degrees saturated, right? To maintain that, that 50 degrees. Um, the problem is if, you know, someone had lowered the EPR lower, or if you're using 407A, you know, where basically you have to go a little bit closer in pressure. So, you know, you know, to, to account for the glide, um, what happens is uh, the liquid line solenoid, because you're, you know, your subcooler will basically get too low in temperature will shut off. And unfortunately, a lot of times they don't, um, there's a set of terminals on the super on the superheat controller on the Sporland superheat controllers. And basically, um, you know, if you have the solenoid shut off, you should basically be shutting down those set of contacts. If you're not, you know, th those valves, are, those controllers are stupid, right? They all they know is that they're supposed to be maintaining superheat and that's all they know. So basically, if you shut off your liquid line solenoid, um, your superheat's going to start to increase. If it starts to increase, the valve is going to do what it's supposed to do is basically open up to 100%. Now, in that whole time, the liquid line solenoid is not, not uh, active, so it's not feeding any refrigerant. Now, all of a sudden, that valve is up to 100% and then basically then feeding a shit ton of refrigerant uh, into, the, uh, into the header, uh, into the interstage header, and basically you know, causing liquid to get in that way. Um, I've had uh, uh, a gentleman call me up. It was actually New Year's Eve. And, uh, you know, he had been working on this thing for a while and, and, you know, basically there was the exact same scenario that I had said, you know, where basically the EPR was set too low, the solenoid was shutting off and you can, you can graph that with the Novar and basically, you know, see how many times it's shutting turning off and turning on. But that might be a way that, you know, liquid is actually entering in there. Um, also, if you're somewhere where it's real cold, um, I've seen on a high pressure, I, I don't know what kind of oil system you have, but. You could have a high pressure uh, receiver that's near um, an out outside area, um, you know, like a you know, some sort of damper. And basically the temperature of the of the uh, separator gets down in temperature low enough, especially when when you have a lower load in the uh, in the wintertime and basically condenses that liquid or that vapor uh, into liquid and then basically feeds straight up liquid into your oil system. I've seen that happen a bunch of times. Can I reverse gas defrost a single system by reversing compressor rotation with a second contactor? Absolutely not. Um, there's uh, there's a couple systems that do hot gas. Uh, I believe um, for the manufacturer, it, it's I believe it's called an Oasis system or Sierra. There's a Sierra system that does hot gas. Uh, Kramer Thermal Bank is another one um, that I've seen. Um, basically, uh, it uses a heated tank of glycol 
to, you know, basically run the suction through there um, before it actually gets back to the compressor so as to, to basically boil off any refrigerant that's in the suction line so it doesn't damage it. But no, um, but no, you can't, you can't reverse the rotation on a compressor. Uh, unless you would have a VFD, that would be the only way that I'd see. But it's if it's a reciprocating compressor, it's still going to do, it's a positive displacement system. So it's still going to just, you know, keep going that way. Brett, that was Nathan or Ray's racing ribbon. <laughs> Nathan, if you're watching, uh, that was an adorable picture you sent me. Uh, that white lacy number was was pretty cute. Uh, why doesn't my mom love me as much as she loves my older brother? Um, probably because you're ugly. Um, I don't have any brothers or sisters, so I can't relate. Uh, low pressure oil system sounds like what's going on. What is the fix for that? Verifying the EPR. Yes. Yes. You want to make sure that solenoid, just like any kind of uh, EPRs, you, you really don't want any sort of cycling. Um, you want those things rolling all the time, except during defrost, because, you know, if you're shutting off, if you're shutting off the suction stop, uh, you know, you're on a rack, you're basically, you know, stopping the mass flow. Um, so you're basically increasing the suction line temperature and you're then you're basically sh uh, causing a lot of uh, cycling on your compressors as well. Because you're going from basically turning off, turning on, turning off, turning on, which is, you know, if you're doing that with your, you know, your compressors, you're basically doing that with your suction pressure, which means your compressor is going to cycle and and uh, most compressor manufacturers, uh, I'm sorry, most contactor manufacturers will tell you they don't want the compressors or the contactor cycling anymore from six to 10 times an hour. Uh, same thing if you were to basically take a uh, reciprocate or um, if you were to uh, use a pressure switch for a temperature control, um, they you know basically set it in such a fashion where it's going to uh, basically not not psych not not you know so you're not over cycling that compressor um but yeah basically set your epr high enough um with glided refrigerants you use your midpoint when setting any kind of suction pressure control so you know basically if you have um you know 407a typically has a i believe a 10 degree glide so if you're running uh, 30 degrees and 30 degrees on your dew point you might be running 20 degrees on your uh, liquid and if that's the case, you basically, you know, would be running a 25 degree midpoint. So when setting, you know, your, your saturated suction on your rack, when setting an EPR, you should be, you know, should be trying to, you know, guideline that for, for a midpoint that should get a better control. Oh, Jesus. Nate, is that why you switched that sensor? Cause you were smelling. Had a Carlisle screw rack, screw rack um, that swapped from R22 to 407. Right after the swap, the oil filters plugged up almost weekly. What's the reason for the oil filters would plug up so fast after a gas change? We did an oil change and suction liquid dry, uh, liquid filters. Um, you have to remember POE is a solvent. Okay, um, you know, basically, you know, if you're if you're changing the oil. Um, I'm assuming you change the oil from, from mineral to polyester. Um, when doing that, it basically will strip any kind of crap that's in the system. Now, screws run extremely hot. So there's more, more chance of, you know, carbon and stuff building up on the inside. That's why they use so much oil. Um, they use a lot of oil 
um, because basically, um, you know, if you, you were to take apart, I used to work for an industrial company and we worked on uh, Frick, Vilter, Sabro, um, you know, all kinds of industrial screw compressors. And basically the male and female rotor, you know, basically are, are rotating together to basically push that discharge gas out. Um, they use uh, they use oil to actually complete the compression uh, because, you know, basically they can't butt those things, you know, all the way up together, um, you know, because the clearance would be stupid, you know, stupid, ridiculously close. So they basically, you know, flood the whole chamber with oil. And that's why the separator on those are so big. Um, but because you're running so high of temperature, there's a high probability that, you know, basically you were already creating a, a whole bunch of, you know, buildup on the inside of everything. And then when you switched uh, refrigerants and switched uh, gases, it basically started cleaning everything on the inside of the system and, you know, caused you know, those oil filters uh, to, to block up. Um, hopefully when you were doing that as well, you rebuilt the oil solenoid uh, to make sure that it wasn't, you know, uh, that, it, that it was, um, you know, basically not going to a leak, um, but also, uh, you know, uh, working properly. Got them pipes nice and clean from the swap. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, now I want to know who's... <laughs> take your fucking clothes off. I will send you $10 if you take your shirt off. Um, this is, <laughs> you're an asshole. I thought you were sleeping. You know, I told Kevin we were, we were going to do a live stream tonight, and, he, you know, he was... Uh, He's like, I'm, I'm too tired. I'm, I'm, I'm going to sleep. I'm going to sleep. And then, you know, proceeds to talk to me for an hour. And it's like, I'm going to sleep. And now he's, you know, busting my balls about taking my shirt off. You build everything and replace almost everything. Uh, if you're talking about the, the screw rack again, like I said, you, you're still going to have, um, you know, a little bit of carbon buildup, you know, because of the high, high temperatures. I don't think this is Kevin now. I think this might be Nathan Orr. Uh, afternoon, Joseph. Where where are you? Uh, where are you coming? Uh, where are you uh, texting in from? Rob, um, I have a case lineup. Uh, that customer parameters are below case spec. And they have constant icing up issues. Is there anything other than set point change? that could prevent this case lineup customer parameter. Uh, are we talking about uh, rob are we talking about um defrost spec um for termination is that what we're talking about can we do a gofundme to get leslie arm and kevin compass you kiss on <laughs> Oh, uh, I totally regret this decision. I'm trying to help you guys out. You're going to break my balls. Uh, why do Bitzer compressors exist? This is Nate Slayers. Um, I like Bitzer. Um, why, why do you not like Bitzer compressors? You know, um, you know, some compressors are a little bit more delicate, um, as far as, uh, liquid, but you know, you should be trying to maintain, you know, like we said before, 20 degrees of superheat and you wouldn't have so many issues. Uh, same thing with just making sure the racks working properly as far as the oil system, you know, to make sure that we're, you know, actually functioning properly. 
David T. Um, Colorado, I'm assuming. Scotty, what is uh, causing the screens on the RDM to burn out on the voltages uh, with the voltages incorrect and the equipment will still run? Um, I believe you're talking about the 650 controller that I was messing around with today. I actually got the controller to back up and running, but there was a... uh, there was a component on the board that was actually overheated. Um, so what can happen is, you know, uh, those things, there's uh, coils on there that basically are, you know, preventing, preventing the AC voltage to, to, to get through, um, you know, with the DC. Um, I suspect we're either, we don't have the right VA, uh, VA DC power supply, um, or there should be, there could be a, a possibility of, low voltage wrong VA, or we could have, um, the power supply is just starting to go bad, uh, causing excessive, uh, excessive heating on the, uh, uh on the components in there. Cause it, like I, I tore it apart today and there was nothing, you know, there, there was nothing in there that basically was, uh, nothing on the, on any of the relays that was potentially causing that to, to, you know, get high. I'm offended. I don't know who that is. Uh, Defrost is on point EEV EPR Sporlin S3C controller. Um, so Robert, just in case. Uh, oh, so the the S3C they used to have a password. The manufacturer password is typically 19. You know, the newer Sam's Club uh, password used to be 35, but then, uh, you know, people were getting upset that they were able to get in the controllers. And so now they have actually have a roaming password. So the only way that you can basically change the parameters is basically get a hold of uh, microthermal to actually change that parameter. Um, be careful on some of the uh, Husman cases, multi-deck. Uh, what happens with those? Um, you know, the honeycomb at the top, as far as, you know, the honeycomb is probably about three inches wide. Um, towards the, towards the case, um, you'll get an accurate temperature. If you're an, uh, an inch and a half away from the back, uh, from the back of the honeycomb, uh, you basically will go up and about about 11 degrees. There's 11 degree variance. Cause there's a, you know, instead of being in the airstream, you're actually, there's a secondary, like secondary airspace where there's, you know, there's no airflow from the fans or there's a, basically a little bit of louver there. And there's an 11 degree variance. And what I've seen already where the, if the temperature sensor is towards the front where it's not supposed to be, where there's a, you know, 10 or 11 degree difference, um, basically what will happen is it'll de- it'll defrost faster and it'll also pull the suction down way lower, which will, you know, cause that case to, you know, ice up all the time. Um, what else we got? I keep seeing that. Why doesn't my mom love me? Yeah, I know, Joe. They're going to, they're going to screw me whenever they can. I get it. Um, 
can we get continued <laughs> education hours for all this info? Damn. Um, you know, it's called personal development, right? I mean, a lot of times, you know, you just basically have to, um, you know, do your own reading. Um, you know, uh, my advice to any, any newer guy out there is basically take, you know, take one piece of equipment or, or one controller, one valve every week and just basically, uh, you know, look, look, look up the information about it. Um, you know, instead of using your, your, your phone for midget porn and Facebook, like Nathan does, Nathan, or, you know, basically, you know, go through and, uh, you know, look up just one part one, you know, and cause at one time at three o'clock in the morning, you're going to need to know how that damn thing worked. Uh, off cycle defrost, IC2M. So Robert, that's the, that's the two deck, the two deck case. That's basically about, you know, uh, I don't know, probably, you know, belly high, right? Is that the one you're talking about? Um, make sure that those, uh, those coils are, are in there, um, properly. Make sure those coils are in there. Uh, you know, the covers for the coils are in there properly. I've seen a lot of times where they're not pressed all the way down. Um, and then potentially causing a little bit of air to, to shoot out the bottom. Um, also like a lot of times in Sam's club, you know, the programmers basically tell them how to set up the cases. Um, so if, you know, if they think it looks pretty one way, um, that's great. But a lot of times, you know, they make it so, you know, basically the, the shelves are too high or sometimes they put too deep of a, a shelf in there, which basically makes the air just fall out of the case. If you had <laughs> if you had the whole hands with one tech while walking through an outlet mall, um, why would it be Nathan Orr? Um, uh, Nathan Nathan has uh, is very hairy. Have you seen my wife? I don't do much porn. <laughs> Mister Orr can keep that. That's amazing. Um, David T. I was working on a lineup of reaching doors that had a negative 13 set point. Um, just frozen pizzas, dinners. Customer usually goes down to negative 10, negative 8 for frozen food. Any reason why it's so low? Man, I I, I can't answer that. I mean, they're... they're uh, I don't know, David, if, is the, you know, is the system being controlled by, you know, like EC, uh, EMC? Is it, um, you know, is it their spec for that? Um, you basically have to call, you know, whoever, uh, whoever makes those decisions and see, you know, why, why it is so low. I mean, you know, frozen food, I mean, you know, water freezes at 32 degrees, right? There's no reason, you know, that you need to run that cold on, you know, that kind of product. Uh, a lot of times uh, there is certain products uh, that, you know, they do have a lower temperature and that's usually because um, they have a, a higher specific heat, basically a higher salt content, you know, hence why ice cream has to be, uh, you know, at such a low temperature because, you know, the, the, you know, the amount of uh, salt um, in there is basically raising the specific heat of that product. Um, I used to work at a, uh, at a place in Pennsylvania um, they made soft pretzels and because the soft pretzels basically had salt on them, uh, the freezer was down to, I think, negative 25 or negative 30, something like that. And basically it was just because, you know, the, you know, if anyone's ever lived anywhere where there, it gets cold and, and we have, they have snow, 
they have to throw down salt to basically you know melt the ice. Um, so imagine the salt already being on the product, basically raising the specific heat and basically causing the you know the product to you know start to melt prematurely, and that's why some of the temperatures have to be that low. But uh, pizzas and, and dinners, I, I don't see any reason why it would have to be that damn low. Um, I was taught that setting superheat on a circuit using a CDST valve, um, you override it to 40%. This doesn't make sense. Why wouldn't why you, when you want it a hundred percent, you want you know, anytime you're doing any kind of superheat, you want to basically maintain that suction at whatever, whatever pressure, you know, somewhat close to what you're trying to maintain as far as you're saturated. Right. Um, you know, just like you don't want to really adjust, you know, superheats, um, when the case is an attempt, you want to make sure it's, it's at temp when, you know, when you're doing it, but also, you know, right at the saturated suction. Um, so usually what I do is, is try to get the suction as steady as humanly possible. Case in point. So, uh, some of the, uh, the, uh, what do you call them? The low profile units where they basically have the evaporate, the evaporator, two evaporators on either side, and basically the, the, the fans right in the middle. Um, you know, a lot of times when, when stores do remodels, if they have two different racks, um, they usually have a medium temp rack and a low temp rack. So you're dictated on how low your suction is based off of your lowest SST case, right? So if you have, um, if you put, if you do a remodel and basically you're putting all these high efficiency cases where you only have a four degree TD, um, that means, oh, hell, I could save energy, you know, by basically raising up my suction pressure. Because remember, I think every one per one PSI that you raise your suction pressure, I think you save 2% on your electric bill, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so if you do a remodel and you put all these high efficiency cases, you know, you basically raise your suction. Well, if you have something that you're that, you know, is like a walk in box, you know, a like meat box where basically, you know, those coils don't have a high, high t or low TD um coils they basically are you know always eight to ten or eight to twelve um so a lot of times what people do is they take that box and basically put it on the low temp rack um and you know basically you know so they can raise the suction pressure you know because the low temp the low pressure rack is already you know running low so it doesn't matter you know it doesn't matter that i can go a little bit higher than that but i mean they're trying to save money on the other one um so a lot of times what i'll do is basically just put a um put a tap on there, put a, a, a Bluetooth gauge on there and basically just play around with the EPR percentage to try to get as close to what I'm trying to maintain as possible. Like, so if I'm trying to maintain like a 18 degree coil and I get close to that, if I get 16, 17, 15, you know, as long as you're within two, two to three SST, you know, uh, saturated suction uh, degrees, you know, close to where you're trying to maintain it, you should be fine. Um, it's when you start, you know, going five, 10, because it actually, um, when, you know, most, most coils are engineered for a 10 degree TD, like the, the sizing chart on the engineering chart, if you guys look up a bone evaporator, like, a, uh, I forget the model number, uh, W, W, uh, W E P, uh, 120. it's basically, a uh, a one, a hundred or 12,000 BTU, uh, unit at a 10 degree TD. Now the way the TD works with the with the capacity of the coil, the higher the TD, um, basically the higher the capacity that that coil would be. Um, so if you have if you're running a 10 degree TD on that coil, then it's you know uh, one thousand you know basically one ton. If you 
run your suction pressure lower, you're basically now not now a uh, a one ton uh, coil. Now you're actually a two ton coil. And if you were to drop your suction pressure even more, then basically increases the capacity of the coil, which could potentially cause your TXV to starve. So, like I said, you know, trying to get the CDS valve as close to the saturated suction as humanly possible, and then set your, uh, you know, then, then set your uh, your superheat. Uh, you can't just go blindly by forty percent. That's, you know, I, you know, because prime example, if I if I'm on a low temp rack and I set that to forty percent. You know, I don't know if I'm going to be even close. You know, if I'm running negative 20 on the saturated, I could still be running 10 or zero. You know what I mean? It's it's going to, you know, basically be a game of playing around. And, and you know, sometimes that's what you have to do. I mean, what's this? Sounds like a waste of money. Um, years in resi, new to refrig. Where do you go to find ideal conditions for what your product, for what product is occupying the space? And I don't, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't think I understand your question. Um, maybe a little bit more specific. You know, uh, so just so you're aware, so, uh, you know, all the data on most of the racks is, is, on, uh, is on the refrigeration schedule. That tells you what saturated suction you're supposed to, should be running, uh, what kind of liquid control you have, what kind of temperature control you have. Um, you know, basically, you know, uh, it tells you everything about the rack, uh, the condenser TD, you know, everything. Um, you know, that's a good, a good place to start, you know, usually, you know, and we've talked about this before on some of the podcasts, basically when I, when I diagnose any type of call, you know, I'll go to the case and look at the case and see, you know, what kind of symptoms I have going on down there. But for the most part, I go back right up back to the rack and basically see if the rack is running the way it was designed, see what, you know, if it's running the right suction, see if it's running the right TD on the condenser, see if I have good liquid, see if the liquid temperature is correct. Um, all these things are going to affect the operation of the, of the coil. Um, remodels are great for energy saving if they if the if they're recommissioned properly, and that's the problem. Like you know, as you guys all know, a lot of times you know, you know their their bid to the lowest bidder a lot of times, unfortunately, and the startup is just that, just to get it started up. So a lot of times, you know, the true blue commissioning doesn't really ever get to get done unfortunately, which causes, you know, an astronomical amount of service calls. It causes, uh, you know, low performance on electricity, you know, K, you know, KW consumption, you know. This is good stuff. Thank you. Uh, I was definitely feeling that way. I think he means where to find the information, what you want to keep. Um, frozen food and ice cream. It, it's basically, it's, uh, if that's what you meant, then, you know, basically it's, it's per the customer, right? Customer is going to tell you, you know, some customers want ice cream at negative 10. Some, uh, customers want ice cream at negative 12. Um, some customers want, uh, frozen food at zero. It's, it's all based off of, based off of the customer spec. You know, they're going to, they're going to tell you where, you know, where they want it at. Samson. Samson, oh, Samson, negative 10 for ice cream and frozen 35 for produce and meat. I don't agree with that. Uh, negative 10 for ice cream or negative eight for ice cream, zero for frozen food, um, 28 for meat. Um, you know, because I mean, if you main, here's the problem 35 degrees for meat, um, you're not, you know, just because you're maintaining a 35 degree discharge air doesn't mean shit. 
um, you know, you can add about five or six degrees and that, you know, that's basically going to give you, you know, potentially the core temperature of your product. Um, so if you're maintaining 35 for your meat, your meat's going to be at, you know, potentially 40, 42 degrees. And if that's the case, you're going to have what's called shrink. Um, meat manager's going to be beat, beating you up because, you know, these losing a bunch of money on, on the product. But on the E2 controllers, it will tell you to separate. Absolutely. I mean, if, if it's right, you know, computers are fallible, right? Humans are fallible. So unfortunately, you know, they can only, um, they're only as right as the person that programmed them. And, you know, it's contrary belief. You know, I'm sure a lot of you guys out there have found programming issues on stuff the way it was, you know, originally supposed to be. Uh, what's a good subcooler set point when a rack doesn't have a spec sheet? Is there a rule of thumb for liquid temperature? Uh, can you go too cold? At one point, it doesn't make much sense to to go, you know, like as cold as humanly possible, right? You're limited on your saturated suction. You know, that's why a lot of times like a low temp rack is basically going to be, uh, you know, ran the subcooler, the, you know, the subcooler that basically the part of the uh, refrigerant that's going to be used to actually subcool the liquid on the low temp it usually always comes from the medium temp rack if it's not, if it's not subcooling itself. Um, you know, basically, you know, usually on medium temp racks, um, it seems to be, um, 75 degrees subcooling, uh, low temp racks are anywhere from 40 to 50. Um, but it also depends on, you know, if you have an outlet pressure regulator, um, you know, uh, they use outlet pressure regulators on, you know, Sam's and Walmart, and basically they're meant to, uh, you know, put a saturated suction, uh, keep the liquid pressure at a certain pressure. And usually, you know, on low temp racks, they'll do 70 degree saturated and then do 50 degree liquid. So then you have a 20 degree buffer. So basically you have 20 degrees of subcooling. Um, I mean, so it all depends really what you have. Um, like I said, if I, if you don't have any spec, um, you could always call the manufacturer unless the thing is a dinosaur, but, um, you know, I'd say 50 degrees for, uh, low, uh, low temp, and uh 75 degrees for medium temp um you can also basically you know figure that out by looking at your cases as well um you know because basically when it, when you have a sub cooler you're basically increasing the size of your expansion valve right so if you have a one ton valve and you subcool that liquid down to 50 degrees that valve could potentially go up in capacity maybe a half ton all right so if you're basically you know you could be running high superheat on a case not because you don't have enough liquid um, but really because you're not running a cold enough liquid temperature. But, um, like I said, I usually, if I, if I don't, if I can't find the spec sheet and I can't contact the, the customer, then, you know, basically contact the manufacturer of the rack. A lot of times you'll have a job number at the bottom there and they'll basically tell you how the rack was supposed to be ran and how it was you know supposed to be built. Um, in bunker cases, specifically Hill Phoenix, what is the purpose of the metal plate over the front of the evaporator? um with the circles in it if you're talking about uh you're gonna have to send me a picture man i i are you, i think you're talking about the the plastic circles um uh, in the back walls if i'm not mistaken yeah it gotta be yeah 20 uh, 28 for me at least you know um uh, just so you maintain that core temperature of the product because that's what you're looking for. Right. You know, just because the outside's 28, you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, our 
I'm sorry, just because you're the outside is 35 doesn't mean the actual inside of the product is 35. Um, Samson, uh, you should look up commercial refrigeration for air conditioning. Man. Yeah. So that's a book uh, made by Dick Wirtz. Um, that's an awesome, awesome book. Uh, good reference. And a lot of people, you know, like modern refrigeration. Um, I'm a fan of that Dick Wirtz book. Uh, Damn it. I shouldn't even have said that. Literally three comments in a row. I'm assuming this is probably Nate since he's talking about his, his shrinking meat. And you guys need to look on his Facebook. There's a very cute video of, of him being very excited because his wife actually bought him a bag. Um, I, I think the only reason why she bought him that bag is because she was pissed off that, you know, he kept taking her, her Gucci one and basically, you know, putting tools in it. Just don't send a picture of your meat. Um, yeah, metal perforated sheet in front of the coil. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I know what you're talking about. Um, uh, basically, uh, to, to get a little bit more even airflow. Because um, if you use a volometer um, and you hold it up, you know, towards where the fan is, obviously, you're going to get more feet per minute um, on those cases. And if you go over towards where the fan isn't, you're going to get less air. So basically by having that perforated, um, that perforated uh, piece of metal, you're basically going to distribute the air a little bit more evenly. Um, that's my assumption. Brett, what's up, buddy? I, um, like I said, if you ever make a, a comment, just uh, type your name before, because unfortunately the, the format that I'm using, I can't see. Uh, who's actually uh, typing in? But he sent the picture of his meme. <laughs> I messaged you a picture. Brett. Brett. Uh, picture of Nathan's. How many of you guys have found packs of hot dogs um, behind, you know, hot dogs and, and bacon on those uh, Husman cases where it's 20 years old and green? It's Ruben. Hey, what's going on, boss? Ruben's a professional filter changer now. Hey, did you go for your um, you go for your Rita? You Rita yet? So uh, Ruben now works for a company called uh, TDI. Um, they do do uh, commercial and let, you know light industrial and, and and I think some heavy industrial stuff. So I, I don't um, you know where he's working on ammonia. Um, RITA stands for Refrigeration Engineered Technical Association, I believe. I'm doing, okay, cool, man. It seems like more like an air restriction and velocity increasing for my, uh, me personally, I don't understand the concept. Um, you know, sometimes they also, like, they don't have, Sometimes they'll have them like right there in front of the evaporator, you know, because the older evaporator, the older, you know, bunker cases had them. Um, sometimes uh, some of the 
mid nineties, 2000 cases. Sometimes they had uh, basically a piece of perforated metal down in the back, in the back wall. So watch out for that. Cause a lot of times, you know, when the cases get cleaned, you know, they don't always, uh, you know, basically, you know, clean those, you know, in the back walls or sometimes up in the, uh, up in the top portion of the, uh, of the plenum right by the honeycomb. Uh, sometimes they'll, they'll have a perforated piece of metal like that as well. And basically that gets blocked. Um, I've seen that happen. Uh, Kaiser Warren uh, happens all the time because, you know, they're like, oh, I cleaned the case. But, you know, they don't basically pull the case apart. What's up, Leslie? Ruben Macias sent some <laughs> faces. What's that, $4? Old Protus cases have air baffles behind the back wall and they get blocked. Absolutely. I hate Protus cases because they never get, you know, um, unless there's an actual problem or alarming, those things never get pulled. So there's inches of just broccoli and just grossness behind there. So guys, we're going to start doing these uh, either weekly or bi-weekly. I'm not sure. It depends on our schedule. Um, if you guys don't have any more questions, I'll, I'll give it another, you know, five or 10 minutes and see what other questions I got going on here. Um, but I, man, I appreciate you guys, you know, hanging out. Sorry, my question from earlier, I meant without having information on hand by the customer or the rack, uh, where it, you go to design conditions for a specific product. For example, chocolate, ideal temperature, relative humidity, curing story. Um, so that's a tricky question. So uh, grocery stores, you know, uh, you know, there's not really, you know, besides space temp, right? Uh, you know, typically all these cases are designed for uh, 75 or below uh, te uh, temperature for space temperature and probably, I think, uh, 55 degrees below. That the call, that calls, no, I'm sorry, that's called a type one type case. Anything underneath that, that's what, that's what they want. Um, as far as, uh, you know, chocolate and stuff like that, you know, if you look in some, um, some uh, Rita books uh, basically have ideal temperatures and humidity. Uh, what else? Um, uh, I think Heatcraft, Heat, uh, Heatcraft's engineering guide basically has ideal temperatures for stuff. Um, I used to work at a chocolate plant and, you know, basically, you know, there was certain rooms that had, you know, based off of where the chocolate was going from one direction to another, you know, the, the temperature had to be a certain temperature. Uh, humidity had to be a certain temperature because what they didn't want is basically the chocolate sweating, um, you know, but like when it comes down to food production, um, you know, the people that, that actually produce the food, they know, you know, what, you know, what the temperatures are supposed to be, what the humidity is supposed to be. Um, there are some references, uh, some ASHRAE guides. Like I said, Rita, Rita is a really good reference. Uh, Heatcraft engineering. Uh, there is some on there. Um, Keith Hay, if you had to start over again and learn another trade from scratch, what trade would it be personally doing farming? Uh, if that's considered a trade, you know, it, it's, it's funny. So like I originally, um, you know, I originally went to, I moved out of my house when I was 16. Uh, I was homeless for about two years. Uh, I put myself through, through school. I got a degree in electronic engineering and that's basically what I was going to do. Um, 
and I hated what I was doing. I hated going to the same place every day. Um, if, if I didn't, if I didn't have to, I probably would have been a doctor. Um, if I would have had the capability to, you know, cause I, I ran out of money. That's why I quit school, um, the second time. But like, you know, basically, uh, I, I probably would have been a doctor. Not a, not a trade. I mean, I, I, listen, I, I, I love the trades, but I, I don't know. I just, uh, I, I like puzzles. I like solving things. Um, that's why I think a, a doctor would be, you know, pretty cool. Have you ever messed with the back rack HMZ 16 zone leak detectors much? Yes. What about them? Uh, there's certain uh, voltages um, there's certain voltages that, that it has to maintain. There's a whole bunch of documentation on there. Um, you know, if there's any, anything specific that you're actually looking for, uh, you know, uh, put a message up on advanced refrigeration, uh, podcast, uh, Facebook group, uh, or basically, uh, email me advanced refrigeration podcast at gmail.com. Um, and I can get you any kind of information you need on the, uh, on the back rack. Just going through to see if there's any other questions that I missed. What's the best refrigerant to change over from 507? I honestly do not know. Um, I know 507, I believe, has a, a lower GWP than, uh, than 404. Um, you know, and it's not the 400 range. So I don't think that that one's getting chopped, you know, now, but I don't know. I'd actually, I have to do some research. Um, I know, you know, uh, recently they've been doing, uh, anything that's on 134A, they've been going to 513A, which is basically 134A and R123XYZ or something like that. But as far as 507, I mean, I, I don't know. I've never had to, I, I've never been asked that question. Um, my advice, if you, if you really want to know, and you know, you have a, com a customer that's basically thinking about changing, uh, reach out to national refrigeration, uh, which wasn't, it wasn't Philly. I don't know if they're still in Philly or, or if, or if they moved out to Delaware. Yeah. You can have Nathan's number. <laughs> you guys are brutal. What potential innovations, uh, changes would you feel will come with 290 uh, charge size uh, to increase to 500 grams? So they keep increasing it. So you can actually, uh, they figured out that you can basically run a rack on uh, on a, I believe, like a, like a propane cylinder uh, worth of refrigerant. Uh, you could potentially, uh, you know, run the run the whole damn thing off of there. Um, you know, just being able to do uh, large larger systems. There's going to have to be more safeties. Um, you know, as, as Ruben could probably tell you, you know, the uh, with ammonia, um, 
there are so many safeties, so many, uh, so many leak detectors all over the place. Um, you know, uh, just, you know, the, the more dangerous refrigerants, you know what I mean? As far as hazard, the more safeties you have to have, you know? Um, Anybody going to AHR? I actually, I'm I'm looking forward to go. So I'm I'm going to be hanging out at the the Sporlin, uh, the Sporlin table, uh, the Westermeyer table, um, but also, uh, man, I'm going to be bouncing around because I'm trying to get all, as much information as I can with with all the new stuff coming out. Um, I, I'm looking forward to see you know some of the new innovations. Like it, like if I had a dream system as far as like uh, refrigeration, it would be you know ammonia primary and, and co2 secondary um they're both high you know high btu per pound uh refrigerants and they're they're also uh extremely low you know no G, you know gwp but hey guys man it's getting late i gotta get to the office early in the morning i appreciate you guys hanging out um like I said, you guys have any questions on stuff that you want covered, uh, whether it be in the podcast or the next live stream we do, um, you know, email it to advanced refrigeration podcast at gmail.com uh, or uh, tag it on advanced refrigeration podcast Facebook group. Guys, man, thanks again. Have a good night.